Hello and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On this show, you'll find a mix of the latest news in the tech world, including privacy, infosec, startups, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and practical everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-C-O-F-F-E-Y underscore, and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Coffee and Code. Today, I will be covering the Senate Section 230 hearing with Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai. Spotify's defense of having Joe Rogan interviewing Alex Jones, saying it won't, quote, ban specific individuals from being guests on other people's shows, as well as industry sources saying that changes to iOS 14 search show that Apple is stepping up its efforts to build its own search tools as Google Deal comes under antitrust scrutiny. Let's dive in. The Senate's Section 230 hearing with Dorsey, Zuckerberg, and Pichai only briefly discussed the law, instead letting Republicans berate Dorsey for sound bites. Today, the Senate Commerce Committee hearing happened and it was nominally about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is the 1996 statute that grants interactive computer services broad legal immunity for user-generated content while allowing them to moderate that content without fear of taking on liability. In the event, however, the hearing was mostly an opportunity for Republicans on the committee to berate Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey for supposedly discriminating against conservative users, especially conservative user number one, Donald Trump. The senators demanded to know why the company prevents accounts from sharing the New York Post story alleging evidence of wrongdoing recovered from Hunter Biden's laptop. They wanted to know why Twitter censored so many of Trump's tweets, but leave up tweets by Iran's Ayatollah, threatening the destruction of Israel and denying the Holocaust. They also wanted to to know about a tweet by a member of the Chinese government accusing the U.S. of causing the coronavirus pandemic as well as a satirical tweet accusing Senator Ron Johnson of killing his neighbor's dog. Dorsey remained calm through these exchanges. In the case of the Hunter Biden story, he said the company incorrectly applied its policy on hacked materials and reversed course in a day. President Trump's tweets weren't censored. They were just flagged as misleading or dangerous and had extra content added to them. 
The Ayatollah's tweets didn't violate Twitter's policies because they count as saber-rattling against foreign adversaries that the company tolerates from world leaders. As with many congressional hearings, the point of this one wasn't really to get answers but sound bites. No one was readier to add to their sizzle reel than Ted Cruz, the Texas Republican who has done as much as anyone to promote anti-conservative bias as a political issue worthy of debate in Washington. Cruz appeared remotely and lit into Dorsey for what he considers Twitter's egregious conduct. Mr. Dorsey, he snarled, quote, who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views of the contrary of your political beliefs, end quote. The most notable thing about Cruz was not the tone, but the fact that it was directed at Dorsey and not the other two CEOs that were called to testify, which were Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai. Over the course of the hearing, Dorsey fielded more questions from Republicans than those two combined. And yet Facebook and Google are far more embedded in American life and play a far greater gatekeeping role than Twitter could ever dream of. Around 70% of American adults use Facebook and YouTube regularly, and Google accounts for some 90% of the general search market. Given their dramatically larger user bases, Facebook and Google are far more significant drivers of traffic to media sites. A serious hearing on that topic would be welcomed, and a point that the committee's Democrats made over and over as they accused their Republican colleagues of trying to work the refs in the waning days of the election, it would have very little to do with Section 230, and there are real reasons to think the law, as applied by courts, has gone too far in its grant of legal immunity. Would-be reformers have raised thoughtful questions about whether Section 230, which, by the way, applies to all interactive computer services and not just social media companies, should be changed or reinterpreted to make platforms responsible for hosting and algorithmically amplifying harmful or illegal content. But those questions are almost wholly separate from the issue of letting two massive, democratically unacceptable private companies exercise so much power over public discourse and access to knowledge. The Republicans on the Commerce Committee aren't wrong to worry about that problem, but complaining to Jack Dorsey about some mean tweets just won't solve it. So I'm interested to watch the recording from this. There was a clip that was released today that um, showcases some of the interesting um, discourse that happened between uh, Jack Dorsey and the Senate and Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai. Apple develops alternative to Google search. The iPhone maker pushes to build its own search tools as ties to Google come under antitrust scrutiny.
And Apple is stepping up efforts to develop its own search technology as U.S. antitrust authorities threaten multi-billion dollar payments that Google makes to secure prime placement of its engine on the iPhone. In a little-noticed change to the latest version of the iPhone operating system, iOS 14, Apple has begun to show its own search results and link directly to websites when users type queries from its home screen. That web search capability marks an important advance in Apple's in-house development and could form the foundation of a fuller attack on Google. The Silicon Valley company is notoriously secretive about its internal projects, but the move adds to growing evidence that it is working to build a rival to Google's search engine. Two and a half years ago, Apple poached Google's head of search. The hire was to boost its artificial intelligence capabilities and its Siri virtual assistant, but also brought eight years of experience running the world's most popular search engine. The company's growing in-house search capability gives it an alternative if regulators block its lucrative partnership with Google. When the U.S. Department of Justice launched a case last week over payments that Google makes to Apple to be the iPhone's default search tool, urgency was added to the initiative. Quote, they, Apple, have a credible team, but I think has the experience and the depth, if they wanted to, to build a more general search engine. This is a quote from Bill Coffrin. Google's former engineering chief, who is now a partner at Silicon Valley investor Sequoia Capital. Apple's frequent job advertisements for search engineers are not short on ambition, inviting candidates to define and implement the architecture of Apple's groundbreaking search technology. Search marketing experts also point to increased activity from AppleBot, the iPhone maker's once obscure web crawler, which is used to build the vast database of online material that forms the foundation of any search engine. Most significantly, iOS 14 nudged aside Google for certain search functions. Queries made in the search window accessed by swiping right from the iPhone's home screen which Apple calls the Today View, show an Apple-generated list of search suggestions rather than Google results. These results include autocomplete-style suggestions generated by Apple, showing that it is learning from its 1 billion users' most common queries. Building a true rival to Google's search engine really could take years, but with profits this year predicted to exceed $55 billion and $81 billion of net cash reserves at the last count, Apple can't afford to make long-term investments. And Apple has historically tried to own and control the most important components of its products, from the custom chips that power everything from the iPhone to its AirPods and watch accessories, to the tight integration between its software and hardware that we all know. Yet Apple has stuck with Google as the iPhone's default search engine for more than a decade. But now Apple has a growing incentive to change that, and as regulators force it to choose between defending its relationship with Google or turning against its long-standing partner in search, 
The U.S. Department of Justice has put Google's estimated $8 billion to $12 billion annual payments to be the iPhone's default search engine at the center of its antitrust case against the Internet group. The DOJ could demand an end to the exclusive agreement, allowing others equal access to the iPhone's search defaults. Apple has stumbled in creating a rival to Google before, actually. So when Apple Maps first launched in 2012, it was so prone to errors that Scott Forstall, one of the company's top lieutenants to late co-founder Steve Jobs, was forced to resign. But Apple is one of the few companies that have the resources to index the web from scratch. Most of Google's smaller rivals license their index from Microsoft's Bing, including DuckDuckGo, a privacy-focused company that already offers an alternative to Google and its Safari browser, and Neva, a Silicon Valley startup founded by two former Google executives. More than 20 years after Google was founded, building a search engine today is still technically very difficult, but it's not as hard as it used to be. That is in part thanks to the cheaper cloud computing infrastructure and open source tools that are available to both Apple and startups such as Neva. But still, the sheer scale of the problem is daunting, as any reasonable search engine has to have 20 billion to 50 billion pages in its active index. When a user runs a query, the retrieval system must sift through vast troves of data and then rank them in milliseconds. Some people still dismiss the idea of Apple creating a complete search rival to Google, but Google's advantage comes from scale and has endless user feedback to help tune results and identify areas of improvement. And as we all know, Google gets hundreds of millions of queries every minute from users all over the world. And that is an enormous advantage when it comes to data. So this is developing and I'm interested to see what happens with all of this. But, you know, we're so used to using Google, right? Um, I think we never, never stop to think there are other options. Um, but now times are changing. Spotify is under scrutiny for defending Alex Jones' appearance on the Joe Rogan experience. In a leaked email, an executive said, quote, we are not going to ban specific individuals from being guests on other people's shows, end quote. In public, Spotify is staying quiet about an appearance by conspiracy theorist Alex Jones yesterday on its flagship podcast, The Joe Broken Experience, despite banning Jones's own podcast last year. But in an internal email sent from a top executive, the company is defending the booking. Horatio Gutierrez, the company's chief legal officer and head of global affairs, wrote to team managers on October 28th about the episode of Joe Rogan's podcast that featured an interview with Jones and podcast host Tim Dillon. Alex Jones has been a guest on the Joe Rogan experience before, but this was his first since the host struck a $100 million deal with the music and podcast company Spotify. Previously, Joe Rogan experience was only available um, on Apple Podcasts um, and and other like web browsers, but not on Spotify specifically. 
The email, which did not name Jones directly, also outlined, quote, talking points that top management should recite if asked about the interview. In August of 2018, Spotify was one of four companies that kicked Alex Jones off their platforms, citing policies against hate content. During his three-hour appearance, Jones railed against censorship, repeated falsehoods about the Bidens, and denied climate science. Jones also spread conspiracies about the coronavirus pandemic and vaccines, falsely saying a polio vaccine caused many recipients to get sick. Rogan occasionally attempted to challenge Alex Jones, but without much success. Since his rise to fame, Jones has spread numerous falsehoods that have led to harassment, including against families whose children died in the tragic Sandy Hook massacre in 2012. Joe Rogan has boasted about 190 million monthly downloads as of 2019. And in last year's announcement of the exclusive licensing deal, Spotify said that bringing Joe Rogan to Spotify will mean that the platform's more than 286 million active users will have access to one of culture's leading voices. And outside of the leaked email, Spotify spokespeople have remained silent in the face of the public outcry about Jones' um, appearance. And this is really interesting because Spotify is essentially falling into the same extremism trap that every platform falls into. When you start making exceptions for high-performing rule breakers, pretty soon your content moderation rules fall apart. And uh, Joe Rogan is taking some heat from from individuals um, that feel like having Alex Jones on the podcast one week from the election is kind of an irresponsible time um, when the podcast is listened to literally millions of people. So I'm interested to see what happens next with this. Today's tech tip is actually going to help you get more sleep and we could all use more of that, right? So if you are updated to iOS 14, go ahead and head on over to the health application. It's the white app icon with a little pink heart in the top right hand corner. So tap on that and there should be an option for sleep. And from here, you can fully customize your sleep schedule. So for example, I have a sleep schedule set Monday through Friday um, to go start, start at a certain time and end at a certain time. So the idea is I get at least eight hours of sleep a night, that's my sleep goal, and I designate what time is my bedtime and what time is my wake time. So I don't have to worry about making sure I set my alarm every day during the week, it's automatically taken care of for me. And if I want to set different types of schedules, let's say I want to have a schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a different sleep schedule Tuesday, Thursday, depending on who you are, what you do, you know, that stuff. You can definitely set different schedules for sleep, which is nice. Um, But getting a little bit more granular here, you can actually customize your own wind down cycle. 
so you can create an automation widget within the sleep app that will open up certain shortcuts that you use so for example when i have my wind down sequence which happens 30 minutes before my bedtime um, my screen will become disabled and i can only access the notes app and i do that so that i don't get lost in the social media scroll that inevitably inevitably creeps up right before we're about to go to bed um, but i like the notes app because it helps me do a little bit of a brain dump, get the things out of my head that are going to keep me up at night, like my to-do list or things that I want to look into a little bit more. Um, but this is a really good opportunity to focus a little bit more on healthy sleep cycles and trying to get a little bit more Z's. So check out the health app on your iPhone um, and customize your own little schedule to get more sleep. Before I leave you today, I would like to give a special thank you to Just Good Coffee Company, the official coffee partner of Coffee and Code. Just Good Coffee offers a carefully crafted selection of coffee from some of the most revered coffee producing regions around the world. Their commitment to offering exceptionally good experiences extends beyond just the products themselves, but extends well into the community, which is awesome. Their mission is simple, to offer good coffee and coffee for good. From cup to community. That is the sole purpose of Just Good Coffee. Be sure to check out their newest culture collection. These blends are carefully crafted and roasted to perfection, each with origins from within the great continent of Africa. You can find them at justgoodcoffee.co. I am personally a huge fan of this coffee. It tastes so good. Um, I drink it while I'm recording this and um, nothing but good things to say about this coffee company. Shout out to my friend Ray. Thank you so much and thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes of Coffee and Code go live.